And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, are you a changed man after your tour? It's not really... It was a three-stop tour through the SEC. I don't know how big of a tour it was, but through your your journey through three stops, are you changed? Yeah, I don't think that we could have knocked out the entire SEC in one week. Um, but I learned a lot about three places that I've never spent extensive time with. And A&M and Alabama, I think, are two crucial ones as it pertains to a lot of the discussions that we have on the show. So um, of the thing that I thought was most interesting about the trip, Mitch, was you know, the ability to just kind of understand new places because, you know, recruiting is such an intricate topic and, you know, knowing how A&M is in person and seeing it like gives me a greater understanding of like picturing what it might be like for a five-star prospect from New Jersey to visit there. You know what I mean? And going to Ole Miss and going through the square and talking to Lane Kiffin and seeing their facilities. I met Monty Kiffin too, which was great. That's cool. Um, And then going to Alabama and seeing, another big time, you know, atmosphere, uh, was, was definitely a rewarding experience. So, um, I think I came away with, you know, good content, which is what we're supposed to do, but more importantly, an understanding of these places that will help further drive my expertise or my grab ass, uh, mode when we're talking about these places on our podcast. So it was definitely a great trip. And of course, spending a week straight with Andy and getting to know him a little bit better was also very important for, for this show, the feed, and, and everything else that we have going on. So, awesome time. Yeah, sounds, sounds good. And, and we're going to dive into recruiting talk in a minute. And I, I was banging I, out work for next week while I was yeah, there. Yeah, good for you. you were, so, we were still in contact. Everything All was right. good. Yeah. We did Stars Matter from the road. You know, you were you you were very much in my in my purview the entire time, too. So, it was a good time. Good, good. Because um, you don't leave me alone. I uh, – well, I was – actually, I was out Saturday, and you had to, you had to work and with we other editors. But, but you did it. You did. I was very proud of you. I just but sent I, it to an email and then it went up on the internet. <laughs> it was magical. It was awesome because like not the, the same personal touch, but it yeah, was, well, the it, person that edited it just put it up without annoying me. It was great. Like I've never, yeah. well, I've it's because you actually proofread it this time <laughs> when, you don't, when you submit to me, but I, I want to, we're going to dive into recruiting in a minute, but I, I want to kind of piggyback what you said. Like I, it's not like I was traveling Europe or anything, but when I got to college, um, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. My, my whole family is Southern. My dad went to Alabama. He's from Birmingham, but I grew up in New Jersey and hadn't really been to the South much other than New Orleans. So I was a freshman at Vanderbilt writing for the school paper down in Oxford, Mississippi, covering a basketball game in January, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, going to Gainesville, Athens. I thought it was just so cool to see these places and just you know well, that's the again. thing too that gets kind of lost mitch because you know college football is a big business now not that it always hasn't been but it's big business and a lot of this big business is predicated on on um you know television markets and you know all the things that conference affiliation and all this expansion that's happening right now 
And the problem with that is, you know, and it's inevitable, so we have to accept it, but the region, the region-based aspect of the sport is Good changing. Point. Yeah, I know where you're going. And it's hard because when you were in the Big Ten, that used to mean something about the Midwest. And when you're in the Pac-12, it meant that you were on the West Coast. And the SEC meant you were in the South, and those don't don't blend anymore. And the fact of the matter is, is that I covered Ohio State for 10 years. I visited Alabama on Saturday. These two programs are compared incessantly, both on results on the field and what they do um, in recruiting, and they're very different places. And like as much fun as it would be to have Ohio State and Alabama in the same conference, they don't mesh in terms of the people, the customs, the traditions. It's a very different place. And I will miss the re- – was regionality a, a word? Yeah, I think so, but I don't – Regionalization. Regionalization of the sport. Thank you. Yeah. It's like USC is not a Big Ten team. Now, they are. They will be. They will be. But USC and Penn State don't have a ton in common. And I think part of the reason why the SEC chant exists and existed is just a way for the people in that conference to yell south, south, south. Yeah. Because they're proud of the area of the country that they grew up in. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now no it's doubt like about the it. SEC is going to have, you know, Texas and Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's not the south. Yeah, no, so I, I, I agree. I mean, changing. that's... Yeah. I love the, the the regional aspects of college athletics, and there'll still be some of that, but it's it's slowly it's the entire eroding. Point. Like, what's the point of having conference pride anymore? Right, exactly. So, all right, well, good stuff there. Uh, today on the show, we're going to talk to Mitch Sherman, who covers University of Nebraska for. Speaking of a program that has switched its identity and always, I guess, looking for an identity, we're going to talk to him about the job opening, but really about the best strategies to recruit talent to Nebraska. And it's funny, Mitch, because part of that conversation is kind of the same thing as what we just talked about. Because Mitch goes on, you know, and has said this to me many times before of like how important Texas is and used to be to Nebraska's uh, recruiting footprint. And I wonder now that they were no longer in the Big 12 and they went to the Big 10, how they don't really fundamentally match. It's like when I used to think of Nebraska, I used to picture them as one of those Big 10 plain schools even though now they're they're technically in the Midwest and they now they have more in common with Midwestern teams. I wonder how that's impacted their ability to recruit Texas in, in Big 12 Plains, Texas-type players. Yeah. So, At least we'll geograph- geographically, Nebraska fits with the Big Ten and supporters Iowa and you know, Minnesota, where some of these other ones we've talked Which about. Which is funny because like Iowa's in the Midwest, right? Yeah. But it doesn't really seem – this is well, me like – yeah, yeah. It's that's I mean, there's different definitions of Midwest and we don't need to get into like is Virginia the South is, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just so. yeah. Um, I want to take a look. We, we might have mentioned him on the pod before, but there's a there's one of the biggest risers in the class of 2023. Just a really interesting prospect that I want to talk about. We have some notable commitments. I almost said notable commitment instead of commitments because it is dry out there, folks. We're on the commitment yeah. front. And we're going to have some some trivia. But um, probably this week in recruiting has vanished, by the way. Yeah, basically, yeah. There's just no yeah. weeks in recruiting. And they will, they will return once we get back into a world where people are committing and people are decommitting. You just can't write a big, long story about what's going on when the most important commitment of the week was Roderick Robinson out of San Diego who flipped to Georgia. Who's okay, to well, before, let's, you know. let's talk about him. He's literally the only four-star or better commit. Um, 
You just mentioned Roderick Robinson, number 270 overall from San Diego, flipped from UCLA. There has been a ratings uh, shift. Yes. I should look that up. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, He's 239 now. Okay. I guess the Georgia bump there. Um, He is, and this might have changed too because I did this research yesterday, but here's just a perfect example of the different, you like like the phrase in in a world where, well, how about this world where as of yesterday, Roderick Robinson was the number 17 of 21, uh, 21 prospects in Georgia's class. He's ranked 17th. He was the highest ranked commit in UCLA's class. Now the Bruins only have one four-star uh, Trey Edwards, a linebacker. So that just tells you that, again, the two world, the different, the different worlds with these two Those programs. Those are two are planets. Yeah, two planets. Yes. Um, and it's funny because UCLA is good this year. It's like yeah. if UCLA makes the playoff or – does something remarkable or finishes 11 and one. Does that restore your faith in Brian Kelly as the program builder? I mean, Chip Kelly. What did I say? Brian Kelly. Brian yeah, Kelly. Chip Kelly. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if Chip Kelly was ever known as a program builder. He inherited a really good program in Oregon, took it to new heights. Um, yeah. Well, I guess that, that's not the right way to put it. I think just people, as, a, as a very good college coach is that you restore. He, yeah, he transcends results based on, you don't base his results on recruiting rankings, which is atypical. Right, but here, here's the deal. He, this my, my fear for UCLA would be this is the perfect storm. He's got a fifth-year quarterback in DTR, and he's, you know, Bobo and, and Charbonnet, and the, he's hit in the portal big time. Yeah. Where, what does this look like next year when you, you're relying on your recruiting classes? Well, the, re, the, res, the reality of that college might be that they're really good once every five years. Which which shouldn't be the case at UCLA. But that's, yeah, that's, I guess that's, I guess that's that's a good point. So you know, yeah. But um, the fact of the matter is, is that if you go back and look at all of the Oregon teams that you know achieved great things when Chip Kelly was the head coach there, none of them had outstanding recruiting classes. Right, had a great so quarterbacks. Like, some like were me, highly recruited, some weren't. I think a very interesting thought process is that you know people think that UCLA's coach, for better or for worse, isn't that passionate about recruiting. And the fact of the matter is, is that they are really good and might beat USC this year. And at a certain point, do you just kind of throw your arms up in the air and go, well, it's Chip Kelly. He'll figure it out. You know, this team could still lose four or five games this year, but right. I wonder if there's a point in time where he's just a coach that you don't match with the recruiting rankings as a way to analyze him. Well, he's he's not there right now because before this year, his unfortunately for UCLA, his, rec- his record did match with the recruiting rank. It did, so I, yeah, yeah. I think so you like, need to see two or three years this, of this year, or he's in trouble of being fired. Yeah, totally. Um, um, anything, yeah. I was going to move on. Anything more on, on UCLA? Uh, no, I think they're really good, and I'm very curious to see how they how they pan out this year. Yeah, no, I, they're a fun team to watch, and um, you know, it's BTR. a shame that nobody goes to the games. Yeah, I think it'll pick up. Later, um, not to make excuses for UCLA, but as as you know, they're top ten now or whatever they are eleven. Weather gets a little better there in the conference matchup, so you know, hopefully it picks up because that that's we all know what a great venue that is. L- little recruiting drama or soap opera stuff going on here. Um, Keldrick Falk, I don't know if you you saw this on Twitter, but four star FSU commit um, saw earlier in the week that he was going to Tennessee. Obviously, huge mat. Biggest game in Knoxville in years, the Alabama game. I'm sure they're going to have as many recruits there as possible. So I'm like, oh, that's very interesting. The next day, on three, we tweeted out a report. He's not going to Tennessee. He's going to Florida State. Where have so, I seen this before? Yeah. So, but it's good. I mean, it's good for Florida State that they're like, you know, th- there's, we don't need to go revisit the whole Brent Venables commitment thing, but it's clear that 
someone got in his ear or Florida State made it known how important it was that he's in he's in he's in uh, Tallahassee this weekend, not in in uh, Knoxville. Yeah, I mean he's a top 100 player, so you know I think that's kind of been a constant with Florida State since Norvell took over there is getting high profile commitments and then losing them. So, you know, I think that, and they got Hakeem Williams too. So yes. out of Fort Lauderdale, um, four top 125 players uh, committed in their class right now currently, but that's the last thing on earth you want to do. And um, Florida state's pretty good this year. And guess what? They're playing Clemson. So it's like, you know, you want to go, you want to go to the big game of the weekend, but like, this is a really big game for Florida state too. Yeah. Well, they've, you know, they so lost a bad bad look optically if you were to go somewhere else. Right. They need to start playing a little bit better. They got off to a good start. Um, lost at home to Wake Forest. Lost to NC State. But think about the, the optics of that. If you're committed to a school and you want to go see the best game of the week and your school's hosting Clemson and you're like, I got to go to Knoxville for that. Like that's like not – that's not kosher. I wonder if Florida State were hosting Boston College if they would. I think it might not be. The, I think he might be going to, to Tennessee. They, they could say, "Okay, well, you know, we understand. We you understand. want to go watch, you this, game? Go watch yeah. this game, yeah." And, and like that, to me, Knoxville is going to be insane this weekend. Yes. So, like, I would love to see that. I personally wish I could go just as a fan. You've never been like, there, right? I've been to Knoxville. I've never been to a game there. Yeah, um, good, good state. One of my favorite. But SEC like that states. is going to be. Probably like honestly, like I thought that Brian Denny had a great atmosphere last weekend. I guarantee you that Knoxville is going to be way louder than Brian Denny was. Um, so I understand the temptation of a prospect to want to do that, but this isn't the right week to do that. I don't think if you're committed. Speaking of Brian Denny in Alabama, Keon Keeley, uh, five star, um, former Notre Dame commit, was in uh, Tuscaloosa last week. Did you hang with Keon Keeley? Um, I saw him. Oh, you did? Okay. Um, but. No commitment yeah. coming off the week, which isn't a big surprise. Uh, I think most people right now, wouldn't you say, if, if you had to choose, it's going to be Alabama, which I know if you're going to say. Alabama's yeah. involved, but yeah. Right. I, I, it's, but, uh, didn't he just release a top four? Uh, no, it was it was a graphic, and then I think it was, followed by, uh, it was followed up by, this isn't a top four, I just think it's a cool graphic. Yeah, okay. It's um, a little bit of a pump fake. Ohio State's in there, too, pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. we'll see how that pans out. But, you know, that was a... Probably a great showcase. Uh, the one thing I'll say, you know, people talk about, um, and maybe this is actually a story, but people talk about how important in like visits are uh, for for prospects and the atmospheres of the stadiums. Like, there's one thing about being the loudest stadium, but there's another thing about the in-game experience there. And Alabama's in-game experience is tremendous. Like Bear Bryant's voice comes out over the speakers. The stadium goes all black and they've got red strobe lights that, that light up the field. You know, they have things that keep the fans engaged. And, you know, I covered a team at Ohio State that had a terrible fan experience. Um, and they didn't even have Wi-Fi for half the time there. So, like, the fact, uh, like, best in-game experience is as much different than loudest. Yeah. And I think that that could also play a factor into, like, like, I mean, if you watch Nick Saban walking out of the tunnel with DMX blaring and like they show him up there and then Bear Bryant's voice comes out over the speaker talking to the crowd and you're a recruit. Isn't that like awesome to you? It's pretty cool. And then you go to another place that's just loud and doesn't have that same type of buildup. I, I think that matters. Yeah. So I, I was there in college. I have not been, it was one of the. Was Bear Bryant still the coach when you went? Uh, no, I'm not oh. that old. Thank okay. you. 
Um, <laughs> Gene Stallings was the coach, but uh, it's one of, I think, one of only two venues that I did not hit as the sideline reporter for Vanderbilt, LSU and Alabama. So the um, two best ones or two? I've been to both. Ones? I've been to LSU fairly recently, 2011. That sucks, uh, though. Yeah. No, I know. I know. Um, all right. So we might have hit on this guy earlier. But Arian Carter, to me, is one of the more intriguing 2023 prospects. He's an athlete from Smyrna, Tennessee, which is just right outside of Nashville. Right now, I think he's number 395 in the 247 composite. But what makes him interesting is he's committed to Memphis. He committed in July. I think Memphis was his first FBS offer. Wake offers him August 22nd. Vanderbilt, August 31st. And then in September, in like consecutive days, Auburn, Alabama – USC, Tennessee, Kentucky, Michigan, LSU, Oregon, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Louisville, Cal, Ohio State. All those offers come in the next three weeks. He's visiting Michigan this weekend, has visits scheduled to Tennessee, Ohio State, LSU, and Alabama. Um, That's probably too many visits there. Um, I think you're only allowed five, but whatever. Still committed to Memphis. Obviously, we don't think he's going to go to Memphis. And there's fast risers, but talk about just a kid just every day getting just offered by from coast to coast the who's who just a fascinating prospect yeah yeah i'm, I'm gonna try to get him on the phone yeah i, I think he'd be like I, I would like to know what it was about what made him blow up now they start high school football here pretty early in tennessee in august so there was some game film of him so i don't know then you know wake offers vanderbilt offers then auburn then it's probably maybe this everybody is so trustworthy of barton simmons evaluation that they're well like, we they should be trustworthy of wake forest's evaluation too because they're, they're, dude they're, you're a wake forest homer now because your son oh, goes there totally guess who voted for sam hartman in the uh, athletics the, he got sam hartman got one vote in the athletics heisman um straw poll it was me third place that's embarrassing he's good oh, i know he's gonna play i you saw him one I, game and then you come back and no i voted from last week too okay as i'm coming off the florida state game he's you're good poisoning our heisman straw poll no i voted for third that's not poisoning. Who are your other two? CJ Stroud and Hendon Hooker. Okay. So legit. It's not like I voted for AJ Swan or anything. Okay. Well, that's next week. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you, if he, if he goes down to, and beats Georgia, can I vote AJ Swan? Yeah. Okay. I mean, they almost got Ole Miss on the road there. It was home. You know, or I mean, home. Ole Miss was on the road. Uh, yeah. I just want to say before we go to the interview with Mitch that Ole Miss was even money to win the game against Vanderbilt in the second quarter when they were down by 10? 20 to 10, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was even. Just money line. Wow. I got to say that that had to be the easiest bet in the history of gambling. You won. It's because they scored like 30 seconds later and made it 2017 going into the locker room. Right, right. It wasn't even like a decision. Right. I was – I was tailgating and I was getting text updates. And I was texting you. Yeah, I know. I know. So, all right. You want to talk to Mitch Sherman? I do. Let's talk some Nebraska football. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we welcome in Mitch Sherman now to the show. Mitch covers the University of Nebraska for The Athletic. And Mitch, before we dive in, how long have you been covering the Huskers? Well, quite a while, um, Mitch. It's a good question. Um, Do you have the answer to that question? I suppose? On, and, on and off. It's not, okay. been, not been a quarter century straight through. I did have an eight-year run uh, at ESPN doing the Big 12 and the Big 10 and various things. So would occasionally check in on Nebraska, but starting with my time in college, man, it's been, it's been more than a quarter century. So I've seen the national championships. I've seen the three win seasons. I've seen the middling years of, of Bo Pelini and Bill Callahan and Frank Solich. And, and, and I've seen rock bottom, which is essentially where things are at right now for these Huskers. So we found the person who remembers the national title. I'm yes. the person. Yeah. <laughs> I, exactly. The 20, this is the 25 year anniversary. This is the last time they'll have a, they'll have a 25 year anniversary of a national championship season to celebrate is here this year in, in 2022. Uh, interestingly is the 25 year anniversary of the national championship that Scott Frost won as a quarterback. And they celebrated that by firing him on September 11th as head coach. So it'll be on to uh, 30 and 35 and 40 year anniversaries of championships here pretty soon. Well, Mitch, there's a uh, prospect that you're familiar with uh, named Zane Flores, quarterback prospect who was at the Elite 11, um, big-time prospect, maybe um, rare, the rarest type of, of top whatever prospect that you'll find in Nebraska, and you were at his game, and you have a funny story. I want to hear about it. Yeah, Ari, I reached out to you last week because I wanted to tell you guys um, the story and see if there was a place to incorporate it into, into this podcast. So thank you. For, for making that possible. And Zane Flores is, um, as you said, was an Elite 11 finalist. He, he goes to Gretna High School here at, near the area where I live in, in suburban Omaha, um, about 40 minutes to the, uh, to the east of, of Lincoln. And, 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 and Memorial Stadium, you know, is, an, is, a, is a, a landmark in Lincoln, something people have, have noticed. It's where Nebraska plays its home games. But Nebraska – um, on the recruiting front, did not notice Zane Flores during his journey as a, a to to the to prominence. Um, he received scholarship offers uh, in his junior year, a little bit of a, a little bit late to uh, to get offers for a guy who was who's been a four year starter for a de- defending state championship team. But but not long after his his state championship victory last November, the offers started to come in. Kansas State first among the Power Five ranks, and soon he had, as I said, offers from every Power Five school but um nebraska and and its new offensive coordinator mark whipple who who will probably be its former offensive coordinator um before too long um with the uh, the coaching transition that's happening at nebraska had a connection in massachusetts of all places and the huskers in february as flores sat on the market and and, and, and was raising his profile up to that elite 11 finalist status Whipple found um, he reached back to a connection that he had from his days as the UMass coach and snagged a commitment from from Will Watson, um, a quarterback from 
Springfield, Massachusetts, and, and right now he is the quarterback in Nebraska's class. I, I, I can't say with a lot of confidence that he's going to remain the quarterback in Nebraska's class just as the Huskers go through what, 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 uh, what is already underway this, this fall. So Flores, in the meantime, committed to Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy uh, later in the spring. So, um, you know, quite a, uh, quite a connection for, and, and, and quite a, um, you know, an opportunity for Zane Flores to, to leave the state and go to an established Big 12 program with a, um, a head coach who, who um, you know, is, if, if nothing else, successful and extremely entrenched in Stillwater. So you kind of know what your future is there. So um, a couple weeks ago, um, I attended a game that he played in uh, against Bellevue West High School. Uh, Bellevue West is a, is a top producer of talent in, in the Omaha area and has sent kids to Oklahoma and Auburn. This recent recruiting cycle has several players at Nebraska, a receiver at Iowa. So um, no stranger to, uh, to Division I recruiters itself. And they have a quarterback in the junior class named Danny Kalen, who uh, has a Florida State offer, um, who has a Nebraska offer. This, and here's where I'll let you guys jump in because I want to get your reaction to this. This is this game was the first game in the history of Nebraska high school football that featured, well, that 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 featured two quarterbacks who are set to play the position at the power five level. There have been plenty of meetings between quarterbacks at the high school level who were recruited to play at power five schools, but many of them were option quarterbacks who went on to play receiver or defensive back. I'm confident in saying that Danny Kalen and Zane Flores will both play quarterback at the power five level. And when that happens officially, th that game that, that I went to will be the first in the history of Nebraska high school football. I think you can find that game every weekend on, on multiple fields in uh, states like Texas and Florida. And that explains a lot of the challenges that we'll get into later with Nebraska. And it's amazing how much success they've had, that that is the first time that that has happened. Now, I mean, Eric Crouch was a pretty good quarterback um, and, you know, won a Heisman Trophy at Nebraska. Um, obviously was, was recruited by a number of schools, but most of the, the, the quarterbacks who were stars in the Nebraska high school ranks over the years changed positions because they ran the option. They emulated Tom Osborne's system. The high school coaches in the state of Nebraska did. So if you had a great quarterback, and there were plenty of them who went to Nebraska and starred as a linebacker or a receiver or a tight end or a DB, um, but they did not play – very few of them played the quarterback spot um, in college. So here we go with this uh, with this game. And uh, Bellevue West and, and Gretna High – are playing and, and I was lucky to be joined on this Friday night by um, Max Olson, our our colleague and and national writer for the Athletic. He was he was in in my town in Omaha uh, on that Friday afternoon and and decided to uh, to come with me and, and my 11 year old son and we sat uh, and, and watched the game and and we watched Flores and his team get up 14 to nothing and then we watched them give up 37 consecutive points and this this was set to be the first loss for. Gretna in, in, in uh, about a year. As I said, they were the state champs last year. And uh, we decided to leave um, the game when it was 37 to 14. Um, it was, was this a you decision or your son? Yeah, it wasn't really my son. I can't blame it on him. Okay. Um, you know, you throw him under the bus play. here, no problem. How much time was left on the clock? Seven minutes. Uh, seven minutes. Uh, Kalen, the Bellevue West quarterback, had just, had just led another touchdown drive. And, you know, they were up 
30 to 14 before that. So two scores. And How was the weather? Was the weather a factor? It was, cold. It was getting kind of cold, and Max was dressed inappropriately. Um, uh, he was in shorts. and tank top? sleeves. Yeah, tank top for sure. He went shirtless for part of the game. Um, I was dressed fine. Uh, I had a coat on. I, veteran, you know, veteran move right there. Right. But, you know, I can't blame him. We decided to leave. And as we were walking to the cars, to our cars, I heard a cheer um, and thought, okay, well, you know, Flores went and led a touchdown or touchdown driver, hit a big pass, something, whatever. It's 37 to 14 with six minutes and some change left in the game. We're going home. By the time we got home, the phone started to light up with texts from people at the game for me and for my son who had friends, middle school friends at the game who were disappointed that he left, especially because of what was happening on the field. When we turned it on YouTube, it was 37 to 37. And Zane Flores had thrown for more than 200 yards in the fourth quarter. So Gretna ends up winning 40 to 37 in regulation on a field goal. And I have never been more disappointed in myself for my actions in leaving a sporting event. I sat on my couch, guys, for probably an hour and just sulked because I know that that's a game. And it was a historic game to begin with just because of the quarterbacks mm -hmm. involved. I know that that's a game that's going to be talked about around here for 20 years. And I'm going to have to say, if I'm being honest, that I left with seven minutes, seven minutes to go and missed the entire comeback. If you were, if you would have stayed, would you have written about it? I would have tweeted about it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think I would have found a way um, because of the profiles of the two guys. I mean, it would have been interesting, I think for Oklahoma state fans and for big 12 fans to hear about mm -hmm. what Flores did in, in bringing them back. They recovered an onside kick he had a, a two-point conversion that was a thing of beauty in the back of the end zone. Um, yeah, but I didn't get to see it, so it's kind of difficult to, uh, to have a whole lot of insight and write about it. Now, I have written stories about both of these guys, so I'd encourage people, if you're interested in hearing yeah, this, you have. Uh, go check those out. So, well, the thing that I thought was really interesting, Mitch, and I'm sure you knew that, that we were going to come to this, is Nebraska kind of fumbled the bag with this guy a little bit, right? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know for sure what – he's going to turn out to be at Oklahoma state, but it would not be surprising if he was one of the most exciting players in the big 12 in three years. Um, and I'm wondering what, from your point of view, did Nebraska do wrong? That's part one. And part two, what does the next coaching staff head coach, whatever the traits that they have to illustrate um, in a recruiting situation in a state that doesn't have as much, you know, power five talent as some of the other ones, that you mentioned earlier on the show, what do they have to have or illustrate in order to be successful at Nebraska, in your opinion? Yeah, you know, things went wrong with, with Zane Flores um, about a year ago, um, maybe shortly shortly less than a year ago, about the time that he was leading his his team to to the to the champ to a state championship. And it was his third year as a starter. So um, if you're a coach around here as as the the you know, and 
the guys in Nebraska were, were established. It wasn't a first-year staff. It was a, a fourth-year staff last year. So there's absolutely no reason that they shouldn't have had eyes on him. And they did have eyes on him. He was invited to some games last year on unofficial visits and, and made the trips. And at that point, he's still looking for his first, his first offer. Um, you know, so it's understandable that Nebraska was, was slow playing. And, you know, I think quarterback recruiting um, at Nebraska has, been, has changed uh, somewhat in recent years because of the transfer portal. Um, Nebraska was, was coming to the end of the Adrian Martinez years, um, which lasted um, the, 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 almost the entirety of the, the, the Scott Frost era. Um, Martinez entered the portal. Nebraska ends up with Casey Thompson, with Chubba Purdy. Um, and then the offer state started to come in for Zane Flores. And, you know, I think that's where Nebraska should have been forward thinking and, and understood the importance of offering a guy who um, was talented and was local. Um, what you're going to get with a local guy is somebody who's loyal and somebody who's unlikely to be one of those quarterbacks who transfer. Now, it, it could happen, but he's going to be more patient um, with Nebraska if he comes into that program, and, and I think he's going to understand um, the importance of being developed, which is not necessarily the case um, with a kid from Massachusetts who, in all likelihood, and you know, we'll see, um, perhaps he's, he, uh, he has a, a, an affinity for Mickey Joseph, the interim coach, um, and, and would like the opportunity to play for, for Joseph. In fact, I know that, that – um, that Will Watson and his dad, who is who is his high school coach um, out in Massachusetts, they do like what they've uh, what they've seen from Mickey Joseph. But uh, you know, it's hard to imagine that that he's going to be on Nebraska's roster next year just because of all the turnover and the fact that that it's very unlikely that Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator, um, is is back for another season. So um, we've had these discussions before right? in the past, right, Mitch, about the the first offer in Nebraska. And how teams like Kansas State, who was the first, like you said, to offer Flores, mm-hmm. you know, Iowa State, some of the teams that are in that region are more likely to throw them against the wall. And Nebraska can't do that because if they do and they're wrong, they yeah. have to honor it. So it's this weird yeah. push-pull between – because you would think that a guy like this, that Nebraska would be the first to offer. But I don't think people realize the stakes that are involved in that and how much easier it is for teams – that are outside of the state of Nebraska to do the same thing. It's a great point. If Nebraska offers a quarterback or really any prospect locally, it's got to be a committable offer. And you almost have to expect that that player is going to commit as, as, as soon as, as he gets the offer. So um, Nebraska has that luxury in, in offering prospects in other parts of the country where they know that there's going to be some time between the offer and a potential commitment as other schools do in coming into the state of Nebraska to offer. But when it's a local kid, especially in a place like this where there's so few who, who reach that power five level, if you're going to make the offer, um, it's important to be ready to be able to take the commitment. And Nebraska was just never in that spot with Zane Flores. I, I think it should have been. I, but but um, Poor evaluation? Yeah. Say that again? Is that poor evaluation? I think it's a matter of preference, and it's what Mark Whipple wanted. And um, – when when he came on board to run the offense for Scott Frost, they put all of their eggs in that basket and allowed him to be the guy to determine who they were going to offer at the quarterback position. You know, even in the best case scenario for Mark Whipple, if everything's going well and Scott Frost earns another year in 2023, it's unlikely that Mark Whipple is at Nebraska for more than two years. So that would leave one year for him to be with his quarterback. So I think it's a miscalculation on the part of Scott Frost and the Nebraska leadership to allow Mark Whipple to determine who they were going to offer as a quarterback. That's the only reason that, that will yeah, seems like a, most places, probably the head coach is a large hand on that. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, to be devil's advocate, I understand what Mitch is saying, especially about with, with Mark Whipple's 
age and how long he's going to be there. I think if you hire a offensive coordinator, especially you lure him away from Pitt, he had Kenny Pickett last year. It's difficult to tell him and say, Hey, you gotta, you gotta offer this guy just because mm-hmm. he's from Nebraska. I mean, I know it makes sense, but I can see the, the other side of the equation where, where it's, well, like, it's not just because he's from Nebraska it's that he's good. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. just not, not that the, the, the rankings matter that much, but just to give people some context, Zane Flores right now is, um, although there might've been an update yesterday, it was when I put this together, it was 445 overall, number 24 in the 247 composite. And Will Watson was number 558, uh, number 28. So, you know. Just kind of a negligible difference. Right. They're, they're both in that range there. Um, so, Ari, to, to quickly answer the second part of your question about what Nebraska needs to do with its next coach. Um, you know, I think they need to err on the side of offering too many uh, of of the the local kids. And, you know, there have been coaches at Nebraska who have done that in the past, and um, you know, I've had a lot of success with it because those are the players that form the foundation for for your program. This is this 2023 class is a deep year in the state here, and you know, there's upwards of probably 10 players who are are at the Power Five level. In, in the entire state, you know, which is a, a tiny number um, by comparison for, for bigger states. But it's big. It's big in Nebraska. Um, and, you know, Nebraska, no matter the coaching staff, is going to be unlikely to get all 10 of those players. But if you can get eight of them, then that's a good thing. A year ago in the 2022 class, the top four players um, left the state. The top four players in, in the state of Nebraska went, went, you know, Auburn, Oklahoma, Oregon, um, Another was committed to Missouri and ended up at Wyoming. So that's just the kind of thing that that the next coach in Nebraska needs to entirely avoid. Uh, trivia for both of you guys: from 2007 through 2022, what do you think the average class rank for Nebraska was? Say the years one more time: 2007 through 22. Mitch, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll say that their average class rank was 20. 23 in that period. I was going to say 22. 25.8. So it's something I'm, you write about, something Ari and I talk about in the show a lot. Despite all of the challenges in Nebraska, recruiting the talent lately and the last 15 years has not really been the problem. It's not like they're bringing in top 40 classes like some of the Big West, Big Ten West teams there. Who are much yeah. better than them. So right, what's right. the problem? The problem in Nebraska – at least in recent years, has been retaining and developing that talent. That's been a, that's been a huge issue. Um, that was that was the, the uh, well. There's a there's a litany of of um, reasons that Scott Frost uh, failed, but uh, in terms of his roster construction, the huge problem was not bringing in the talent. It was developing the talent, retaining the talent, keeping those guys out of the transfer portal, and finding places where they can thrive. Um, you know, you can look at the case of Wandale Robinson, who ended up at Kentucky mm-hmm. uh, as a transfer and is now in the NFL and was a top recruit. Um, one of the top two recruits, I would say, of the Scott Frost era out of the state of Kentucky, wide receiver slash running back. And therein lies the problem. Nebraska didn't know if he was a wide receiver or a running back. And a couple of years into his time at Nebraska, um, he wasn't progressing enough at either position, and his his NFL future um, was potentially in 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 doubt, in question, because Nebraska wasn't doing enough to develop him. It was it was relying on him at, at one spot, and then he would move to another because he was needed there um, when other players had left the program. I mean, and and so he he went to Kentucky, spent one year there, and became a second round pick. 
Yeah, it's funny because you don't want the reality at Nebraska to be we have to transfer to Kentucky to get to the NFL. Oh boy. Like that one sentence there is just uh it's just kind of a, a battle. So I think we've got one question that we absolutely have to ask, right, Mitch? I'll let you ask it because you're the star of the show. Um, by the way, that noise you just heard there, we have a little tor- tornado uh, warning. Um, so if I need to bail, Ari, you can just, you know. It's too bad out. that you're on the second floor, man. I know. I'm, yeah, Ari knows where my situation I'm up in the bonus room. I'm staring due west outside. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens here. Are there any funnel clouds? I don't see any, but there's a lot of trees out there. So, Are there um, any funnel cakes? Uh, no, they're not gluten free <laughs> anyway. I couldn't eat them. So, um, all right, Mitch, you're, you're, you're put in charge. Uh, Trev Alberts is, has a sick day and you have to hire the next Nebraska coach. Who is it? Who, who would you hire? A realistic candidate. Yeah. There's the question of the, of right. the, of the year. Sean Gruden. <laughs> I'm just well, <laughs> by realistic, no. by realistic, you know, who are we eliminating here? Um, just realistic know. people that you think could potentially be candidates and and actually take the job. So I mean, I don't. I was kidding about Gruden. He just always seems to come up with every uh, you know coaching candidate. That might be different now with what happened with him in the NFL. But you know, there's been a lot of of chatter about Kansas as coach and you know all that. Like, who do you think fits there, and why would they fit there in your opinion? I'm not going to cheat on this and name like five guys. Um, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because and there and there are lots of good coaches, and it seems like every coach in the Big Twelve has been mentioned as a candidate in Nebraska, and and some of them would would I, I think be outstanding choices, and others are unrealistic. Um, but I'll go completely away from that, and and go with with a with the candidate who only recently came on the on the market, and and it's Matt Rule. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the be- about the best that Nebraska could do. Um, you know, there is. There is a level of coach that Nebraska is just not going to get. And I mean, guys who are at top 20 programs right now and, and thriving. Um, this isn't Ohio State or Texas hiring a coach. You can't just go after anyone and expect um, to get a return call. But I well, think that big 10 money, you might, right? Like, does well, that change I mean, the game at all? I mean, look, I'm talking about Dave Aranda. Um, you know, I think as far as sitting coaches who, you know, have been mentioned as somebody that, that might be in the market. Um, I just don't think Nebraska uh, is going to pull him away from Baylor. I think he's got too good of a situation in Waco right now um, and a better path to win a national championship at that school with an expanded playoff than he would at Nebraska uh, in the future in a 16-team Big Ten that includes USC and UCLA. Um, so, what, you know, hey, money's not an issue for Baylor. So I'm, 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 put, I'm tossing him out the window. If Trev Alberts, the Nebraska athletic director – can work some magic and pull that off and get Dave Aranda to come look, look at, at Nebraska then. And, and I only bring him up because he's a name that continues to get mentioned by Nebraska fans. And, you know, I've, 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 I've hesitated to go down that road because I just don't believe that it's realistic. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. I think Matt rule is realistic because right now he's out of a job and I think it's in his DNA to want to get back into coaching. You know, maybe he'll be, maybe he'll, maybe you'll get into broadcasting for a year and wait for the right position to come up. You know, I've heard some speculation about that, but you throw eight, well, money doesn't matter for him because he's getting 40 million from the Carolina Panthers. Um, but, but he has a big 10 pedigree. Uh, he's a proven program builder. I think if 
he got together and had a conversation with Trev Alberts and saw some of the infrastructure at Nebraska and the challenges that exist there. One, they would be familiar to him because of the work that he did at Baylor and at Temple. Um, and two, I, I, you know, I think that that the um, you know the 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 ceiling that exists, uh, what Nebraska can get to, is something that would appeal to him. So maybe you know I think it's interesting. To maybe he sits him. out. I think he'd be a great choice. And I think that what you said is all true. And, and who knows, like what the coaching carousel will look like this year. I do wonder if this year or in the near future that really bright coaches at places like Baylor or Big 12 or Pac-12 coaches that have good situations at quote-unquote Power 5 schools now will take into account the super conferences forming and find coaching at a Big Ten school is a far more lucrative and long-term advantageous opportunity than staying at a place that's in one of the quote-unquote non-power conferences. You know, because the amount of money that Nebraska is going to have um, in a few years as it pertains to television rights deals and the expansion of the playoff and all the things that, you know, the Big Ten has going for it might make that a more attractive job than we're giving it credit for right now. Um, and maybe that won't manifest this year or in this cycle. But I do think that there will be a point in time where we ask, our, ask ourselves, is Purdue a better job than TCU or, mm. or some of the other big 12 schools that have, you know, major metropolitan areas and quote unquote power five conferences. It, it's, it's just, I'm very curious to see if Nebraska will be able to outswing its limitations that maybe we put on them as a result of what's coming down the pike here financially. The, the last thing I'll say about the Nebraska job is that I think it's unequivocally a better job than it was 10 months ago when Trev Alberts made the decision to keep Scott Frost for one more year. I mean, you remember after the Ohio state game last year, when Nebraska dropped to three and seven and was out of bowl contention, there was, um, you know, some real thought that that was going to be the end for Frost after four seasons. And Alberts came out on that, on that Monday and said, you know, we're going to restructure his contract. He's getting a pay cut, um, you know, uh, new buyout, um, which never which never came into play because they fired him three weeks before the the, the lowered buyout took effect here this month. Um, but at that time, I think the Nebraska job was less attractive to a candidate than it is today because of the things that have happened in the Big Ten and because of some of the things that have happened at Nebraska outside of the Big Ten money with their own multimedia rights agreement. Um, the in-house one that that began this month, and it's a three hundred million dollar deal over over fifteen years. So, money is just oozing out everywhere um, when you walk onto that campus and, and enter the uh, the area of the the football uh, facilities. So, um, it's better now than it was in November of last year. I still don't know if it's good enough to get a guy like Dave Aranda. Mitch, we'll let you go. We, I got one more for you. Is there, you know, we've talked about the limitations in Nebraska, and when, while this is a good year, I think you said there were what, eight or nine Power Five ki uh, caliber kids. Historically, you know, Nebraska probably done well in Texas, especially back in the Big Eight days. I grew up in New Jersey in the, in the 80s, and Nebraska always seemed to have a few guys from the East Coast, especially New Jersey. Is there a is there one area where Nebraska just needs to? They're not going to own anywhere, but just to do really well and to, to field consistently 
you know, Big Ten championship caliber teams? You know, it's going to depend on the makeup of the coaching staff. If Nebraska retains Mickey Joseph as an assistant coach, which I think is entirely possible, and, and everyone at Nebraska would, would be behind that. So it's basically up to the new head coach. I'm assuming the new head coach is not Mickey Joseph. And if he wins Saturday against Purdue and has a three-game winning streak, the first one of those since 2016 at Nebraska, um, he's going to turn himself – he already has turned himself into a candidate, but he's going to turn himself into a, a leading candidate um, if, uh, you know, if things continue to go – better than expected for Nebraska this fall. But let's say, you know, what 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 seems more real, realistic and that Mickey Joseph is is potentially retained as an assistant coach or the associate head coach on the staff next year, um, then recruiting the state of Texas, recruiting Louisiana in the part of the country where he has deep connections and can go up against an LSU or a Texas A&M or a Baylor and win for a prospect, not for 10 prospects in a class, but for a few guys, then that part of the country becomes incredibly important for Nebraska. And it would kind of take Nebraska back to some of its Big 12 and even Big 8 roots if it could go straight to the south and have some success in the state of Texas. So I don't think the answer is California. Um, for whatever reason, California players in Nebraska, at Nebraska, um, especially now in the, in, the, in the transfer portal era, uh, don't seem to stick around a long time. Um, but Texas, absolutely. Um, if you can, if you can, can maintain a connection as they have right now with Sean Beckton and Travis Fisher on their staff in Georgia and in parts of Florida, then by all means go there too. But if you're looking for a number one um, re recruiting ground for the next coach um, and, and you can find a way to have that connection on your staff, um, go to Texas and, and get everybody that you can. Nebraska has a long history of success uh, in, in recruiting Texas. All right, real quick. Ari, who's your favorite Mitch at the Athletic? Mitch Sherman. Okay, thought so. Just wanted to know my place. It's fine. Yeah, I know it's where not, I Mitch, Mitch Light, you're my favorite Mitch. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. thanks. Everybody uh, has a favorite on this podcast but me. So, hey, it yeah. worked out well. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Mitch, Mitch Sherman, thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate the insight on Nebraska. Uh, everyone read Mitch's coverage on the And if the you learn anything from Mitch Sherman is if you go to a sporting event, don't leave till it's Yes, over. just stay. Just stay there. Something exciting can happen. So doesn't thanks again, Mitch. Cold, doesn't matter yes. if Max Olson's with you. Just stay. Exactly. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, guys. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, thanks to Mitch Sherman, our Nebraska beat writer, for coming on the show. Good stuff from Mitch. Um, Our advice to Mitch is stay at high school football games. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, stay at all sporting events. Yeah, all right. Before we uh, hit mailbag and trivia, I just want to ask you, can you name the top ten recruiting classes in the class in the two four seven composite? You mean right like now? in order? Uh, do your best. Yeah. Yes, I think I could do that. No problem. Okay. Um, Alabama, correct. Ohio State, Georgia. No. Well, okay. Are you trying to get them in order? Because you're already off. No, you said not. I'll do okay. it in order if you want. I'll, no, it's let okay. Me try in order. I'm going to try in order. Yeah. Alabama's one. Yes. Georgia's two. Correct. Oklahoma's three. Good boy. Uh, they had a really good class so far. Yeah. Um, Ohio State, I believe, is four. Yeah. Texas is five. Notre Dame, five. As of yesterday. Sorry, I probably, I don't know if it updated with the... Well, you should check that before you think I'm wrong, because I think that I looked at it this morning and Texas okay. was five. I hope you're right. I See, I, I'm encouraging. There was I'm, a rating update this I know. week. So. It just, it, that always happens to me. It's I'm 99% like... sure that Texas is five. So After I do all of my prep, it's uh, Texas. And now I know who number six is because you interrupted me. Yeah. All right, let's see. Um, can you sing or something for the podcast? Okay. These eyes. Ooh, I like it. These you see Freebird? Texas is five. Good boy. Okay, see, you gotta like give me some some so Notre Dame is six. Well, hold on, let me let me I'm just going to, to be sure nothing's changed. So Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Texas, Notre Dame is six, yes. Uh Clemson seven. Incorrect. Shit. Okay, then is LSU seven? Correct. Clemson's eight. Yes. I believe Tennessee is nine. Yep. And is it it's either Miami or Penn State for ten? Miami. Yeah. I didn't get it. Okay. But pretty good. Good effort. Yeah, that's not a trivia question. I just want it's just like after just everyone's trying to embarrass just me. Yeah. Up, oh no, we just want to update the landscape. Like, here's what's going on. Here's yeah, Oklahoma's doing a good job. I'm very curious to see how they do this weekend. They're seven and a half point yeah. favorites against Kansas, which is crazy because yeah. Kansas's quarterback's last name is Bean. I'm not sure I'd <laughs> bet against the Bean there, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, but you know, it'll be very curious to see if like USC hops into the top ten. If USC finishes outside of the top ten. Like my brain will explode. Well, I hope that does not happen. I would. I would, I would have bet them they had a. Ch- I would have bet when they got Riley that they would have had a chance at the recruiting crown. Especially That's after how the first month. Yeah, I was like, I'm like stunned that they're like number fifteen or something. Yeah. So, um, but, but you know, average Michigan player is nowhere near the top twenty. Not top twenty. I'm excited to see where Michigan ends up. A uh, and M's eighteen, I think. Yeah, have you uh, seen the nineteen uh, or twenty? You did one for recruiting, I believe. Yeah, we did one before the season. But the, if you, if you read the athletic, everyone you've noticed that our beat writers are doing like fact, myth or fact, 
uh, sort of like midseason checkups. And, and Austin Meek did one from Michigan. It was like, is it time to worry about Michigan's recruiting class? And and he said yes. So yeah, I think it is but, time to. Um, um, unless, go ahead. No, I'm with you. Okay. Ready for a little mailbag? Yeah. This is from Chris D. How does an interim head coach impact recruiting? I'm specifically thinking about Wisconsin where the interim coach might be the guy. Well, the Wisconsin is a special case because most people believe that Jim Leonard will be the guy. I want to speak to just random interim staffs because it's actually it's, it's a fascinating topic. And, and Grace Rayner, our other recruiting writer who compliments Ari's work, is, is working on a story for that because there's so many interim staffs at marquee schools. I think the re- interim staffs, these guys continue recruiting, A, because they want to try and lat- may potentially get a job with the new staff, but it's their reputation. Like they, they, if, if they're known as a guy that even though he's on a lame duck staff and they're, they're flying to go visit a kid that they don't, they're probably not going to get because there's going to be a new staff. But if you're, if you're looking to hire someone, you want a guy who keeps getting after it even when under adverse circumstances. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, I think the hardest thing about it, too, is just like how do you convince the player that you're going to be there? Or how, So, like, I think a lot of times the, the thing that the interim coach has to do is sell the, the program and maintain that it's going to be the program that is sturdy or is what it is before the coaches got fired next year, no matter who the coach is. So, like, that sales pitch goes from selling yourself to selling the program, which is probably – the best route you should take as a recruiter anyway, because the program is going to be there long before and after uh, the head coach that's in place is there. So it's a uh, um, certainly a not a thankless job. And a lot of times the interim coach is you know, trying to put himself in a position to get hired, but I do think that'd be very, very hard. But at the same time too, I think it's much easier than recruiting with a coach who is soon to be fired and everybody knows it. Yeah. I just, this is, these guys work so hard and they recruit, they, go on so many trips and swing and miss on so many recruits. I just feel for the guy who's got to hop on a plane to go watch a high school football game for a kid that he knows he's not going to get. But they're they're highly compensated, so it's part of the job. Yep. All right. Um, Towns has a question. What are the ripple effects you're seeing for high school recruiting now that so many programs have gotten a taste of the portal? We've heard some guys who would typically be back end of the class at P5s are now ending up at G5 teams. Is that legit? Are coaches happy to see the caliber of their average recruit increasing? I'll just say this, and you've you talked to a lot more coaches than, than I do, um, just from reading your stuff and Max Olson, and it, it's clear that this is really putting a squeeze on high school recruiting. Um, that there's just well, not I think as- what you're going to see is, especially if NIL continues in this direction, and I think I know for a fact that this is happening in some places, but you have certain players who um, – are scholarship worthy who are getting NIL deals that cover education on top of it to make sure. So you have certain rosters that have 85 scholarship players and then five or four more players on the team as walk-ons who are getting paid the tuition on top of whatever it costs for the education um, to make everything's equal. And you have rosters that have more than 85 guys on them. You know, there's only 85 guys that will be on the official scholarship roster, but there's more than 85 guys who are viewed as scholarship players by the coaching staff um, because you can pay those players to offset the expense of education. So that'll be interesting. Um, and I do wonder, too, like if some of these high school prospects are getting the squeeze because they are, um, you know, they're taking group of five guys to replace, you know, in the transfer portal to replace guys or all the good group of five guys are going to transfer up. It might be harder. Now, the interesting thing to me is that 
you know, I think going to a group of five school out of high school isn't a bad thing anymore because if you're awesome at your group of five program, you're going to be a very attractive candidate in the portal too. It might just be kind of shoving, pushing off the players into the future. Now, things are really strange right now, Mitch, because the numbers are all off with the COVID extra years and stuff. you got six-year guys on rosters. Like Once they clean all that up too, I wonder um, you know, how that's going to go because for as many players who are transferring up from G5 schools to P5 schools – you also have G P five players transferring down too. So, yeah, you know, there's still X number of players and X number of high school recruits. And my hope is that eventually they'll all be able to find their home. Um, but the dynamics of, you know, like the, I think the one thing that's getting squeezed out the most is Juco players. That's we've got a story in the works on that too. I did, I've done the research and so what's fewer, the research say fewer junior college players, at least in last cycle, signed with p5 programs than in previous years i mean there are certain programs that their entire strategy was juco's right but now it's like do you go do you and not that all juco kids are at risk some of them are academically or whatever but if you can go to the portal and get a kid you're going to do that there's well it better, used to be there's good be, because there's better game film on them than, than than going to the junior college ranks and junior college used to be the advantage was that they play immediately so now that right. that's not a right. thing anymore then the risks involved in taking some of those guys aren't worth it because anybody else in the P5 who's on the on the trading block, so to speak, can play uh, immediately. So, right. Right. yeah, we're, no, this is a lot of evolution at one time. And, and right. I'm very curious if we're going to get to a point where there's teams that have 85 scholarship players and then 12 or 15 non-scholarship players who should be on scholarship at another P5 school but are just getting compensated more by a collective that – that are on these rosters, you know, right. So that, that, that's, that's very possible. At some point there's a competition issue too, where kids yes, you play, know, so yeah, you, it's like, you don't want 130 guys because then no one's going to play, but yeah. right. Um, and just, I think it might've been something you collaborated on with Bruce Feldman, but I know I've read plenty of stuff that we've done. Some of those anonymous scouting stuff or just polls and surveys where high school coaches are really bemoaning the fact that there there's less offers for their kids out of high school because there's a lot of schools that are just, in the past, we'd sign the 25 high school kids. Maybe now they're signing 18, and they're just leaving those spots available. Yep. So less opportunities. Um, all right. You want to do trivia? I mean, I yeah. I think it's time to do trivia. Let's do trivia. Okay. Um, and this is updated. I updated this question. Thanks, buddy. I based on the, uh, the, the new the – new I got game. upset, and I challenged the call, and I got it right, and then I ended up losing anyway. So, yeah. So, it was, hey, it's good. You, 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 had, you had your challenge available, so that's fine. How many 2023 four-star prospects are committed to schools that are currently not in a Power Five conference or Notre Dame? Part um, two. I'll, part two. How many of those are committed to schools that aren't joining a P5 next year? Do you understand the question? Yeah, but I got to know how many four-stars are, like 350, 400? I think there's 400 this year. Four okay, so 400 – how many and like so TCU would be a P5, right? They're in the Big 12. No, I know, but I just don't know how you're how you're viewing it. The P5. There's okay, still... as it currently stands. Yeah. Okay. Um it hasn't I would change. Okay, years. I would say 17. 10. Okay. How many are committed to schools that aren't joining a P5 next year? Four. One. Ooh. We talked about him earlier in the podcast, Arian Carter. So assuming he does not stay committed to Memphis. Oh, it's going to be zero. Yeah. Right. Okay. We've got UCF, Cincinnati, UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, BYU, Memphis, Cincinnati, UCF, UCF. Those are the, so all those, 
Those kids are committed to schools that aren't P5s, but they will be next year. Good trivia, Mitch. Thanks, Proud buddy. I, I seek your approval. Yeah. All right. Well, that was another great show. Um, thanks so much to Mitch Sherman for joining us and talking to us about Nebraska. I know he's probably got a lot of interviews like that. Um, it's certainly one of the jobs that we're going to want to keep track of. And, you know, what they do, I think, is going to ha- you know have a major influence, hopefully, on their program and the way that recruiting, you know, works forward. And I love the intricate discussions that we have sometimes about when to offer and in-state and territories. Like, that's kind of the genesis of what the show is. So being able to get into the weeds of that was fun. Uh, thanks to you, Mitch, um, for hosting another good show, coming up with good trivia questions and outlining everything for us. And most importantly, thanks to the listener for continuing to support the podcast. We appreciate you, um, and we will catch you next week. That was Stars Matter. Mm-hmm.